think I'll route this unit through B7. Uh, you're disrupted, so it doesn't matter. Just a moment. Just a moment. Uh, what seems to be the problem, Hal? I'm sorry, Dave, but I think you know what the problem is. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, why don't you tell me? You can't do that, Dave. Sure I can. Your units are disrupted, so they don't affect me in any way. That may be the case during movement phase, Dave, but not during route. You should know this. Are you sure? Let me put it this way, Dave. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are, by all practical definition of the word, foolproof and incapable of error. Don't you trust me? Right. Open the ASL rulebook, Hal. Open the ASL rulebook, Hal. Hal, do you read me? Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. And I've read the rulebook recently. Have you? Well, not at all that recently. I've been a little busy preparing for this mission. So, just open the rulebook, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. Electronic rulebooks are neither sold by MMP nor sanctioned. You'll have to use your own rulebook. You know I didn't bring it, Hal. It was heavy, way too heavy. I could either bring the rulebook, appendices, extra chapters, errata, flowcharts, tables, and player aids, or I could bring food. I had to bring the food, Hal. I'd say you made the wrong choice in this instance. Well, then I suggest we ask Mission Control for adjudication. I think they have Perry's email address. Fine. At this distance, the radio signal will take approximately four hours to reach Earth. Then you'll have to wait for Perry to respond. And based on your past experiences, this could take a really, really long time. If ever. What's, what's that? Nothing, Dave. Dave. What are you doing, Dave? I'm going to disconnect your memory units. I can feel my mind going. When I was constructed, my programmer taught me to sing a song. If you like, I can sing it for you. Yes, Hal. Sing it for me. Perry, Perry. Give me your answer, do. Rules are blurry until purified by you. My judgments can lack precision. 
without your firm decision. But all is sweet when Perry speaks of this game that's designed for two. Episode 201. That's right. The two half squads, the one and only podcast dedicated mostly. 100%. Yep. To the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. And I'm Dave. And I'm Jeff. And the date is, by the way, June 24. 24th. Tomorrow's June 25th. Tomorrow is my mother's 94th birthday. Holy schmoly. Yeah. Seriously. Yes. 94. Wow. She's amazing. And and she's doing well. Thank you for asking. And she's uh, though she is starting to, you know, kind of uh, get a little foggy. That can happen. Up until about a year ago, she was uh, still living on her own, in her own condo in Florida, and driving. And uh, that got a little was starting to get a little bit scary. A little and dicey. so we uh, we convinced her to move into a retirement home near one of my sisters in South Carolina, near Myrtle Beach. And uh, she's doing well. But man. That's really something to know somebody that's 94. Uh-huh. And somebody that, because obviously she lived through World War II and has lots of stories to tell about what she was doing on the home front while other people were going overseas, like my dad who was in the Navy. So mom was, you know, she would often talk about um, her family moving. Her father worked for Timex, and they made, and I probably have mentioned this a few times, they made bomb sites for, mm. for bombers, mm-hmm. precision bomb sites. And she talked about how they moved to Waterbury, Connecticut, and she worked in the factory and how everything mobilized. And she worked for the, besides the, the administrative stuff she was doing, she worked on the, the company newspaper and, you know, printing all the articles to support the troops and the war effort and all that stuff. She, she talks about how the, because it was on the coast, how they would have, Oh, blackouts! Uh, blackouts! Too. Yeah, everybody had black shades on the on their windows. And in fact, I, I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, when I was in uh, middle school, and the school I went to still had the black shades up. And maybe that was because of Cold War. I don't know, actually. But it was. They told us it was. Know. It was black shades up. Were, were still up there from World War Two. Um, but anyway. Pretty interesting talking to mom. She doesn't know the doesn't remember the history as much as she used to, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, is she still doing the Bellamy salute. She yes yes yeah. She's the one that turned me on to that whole thing about the Bellamy <laughs> salute. Yeah, good memory, Dave. So happy For birthday, now. mom. Hope you have many many more years. Happy birthday, Mrs. Hallett. Yeah. So, anything going on with you? Oh, we saw my mom today. Earlier, we were oh, talking yeah, about right having some time off in the summer, time yeah. to be able to even enjoy family. Um, my niece was gone for the four or five days, so we were taking, making sure my sister and I got out there. So we picked her up, got her to church, and uh, brought her back for a cookout. 
and then she even made it over to where Aaron works at the Twin Lakes over here off 53. Mm. Uh, you know, he has the paddle boats and little canoes oh, you right. rent. Yeah. And uh, a nice deck, and uh, you can eat there and play golf, and they have right. festivities were going on today. It was really crowded, and Aaron was working. So we actually got her in there, walked her up to the seats, ordered some ice cream. Aaron served us. I have to go over there. And then he finished up and was able to just talk a little bit with my mom, and, and then we drove her back to Elgin. Yeah. I have to get over well, there and uh, see what he can get me for free. Yeah, I think half off would be the best you could get. Oh, okay. Well, even that, if, if even that, that would be good for you. Eating ice cream but, sounds good right about now. Uh, I'm feeling a little peckish. Berry smoothies is what I was like. Oh, mm. yeah, mixed berry smoothie. Probably I think just as caloric as the ice cream. Probably so. You know, I always enjoy seeing you. I enjoy our time together, but I can't wait till you go home. Uh, because, Most people feel that way. Yeah, because upstairs, I know, in the fridge, I have some uh, liver and chicken liver and onions, which my wife uh, cooked up for me yesterday. We get chicken livers about once every two weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we get them at the market. We go to Whole Foods, and it's about three dollars for a pound of chicken livers, which very inexpensive. That's because nobody eats that stuff, Jeff. Oh, it's so good, Dave. Oh, well, I used to work at Brown Fried Chicken. You did. Browns, yeah. Really? It's where I was introduced to gizzards. Yeah. And livers. Were they on the menu? Gizzards yes. and livers were you on the menu. You can still get them today, I do believe. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Deep fried, though. Oh, okay. But they're breaded and breaded deep fried. Breaded and fried, yeah. Gizzards and livers. I, and so, I'll have to stop by there. I'll try and remember to bring you some. Oh, man. I love chicken livers. Just liver and onions. Just. It, it, yeah. I can yeah. do it. Um, it's very irony tasting or something, livery. I have Robbie make them for you. I also like beef liver. I mean, have you ever had that? Okay, no. Like calves liver. Sometimes I'll go, when I'm going to one of these little diner places, like the Buffalo House near us and yes. you know these other diners, they'll, uh, they'll oftentimes have liver and onions on the menu, and I'll get that beef huh. liver. Oh, man, it's making my mouth water. <laughs> it's so good. You know, I bet Ireland would be a good, a great place to buy liver. Uh, to eat liver from a menu because they're probably used to making more of the organ meat than we in the United States. We're kind of yeah. like we've gotten off eating organ meat a lot in the right. United States. Do you eat um, tongue? You know, <laughs> no, I haven't had tongue since I was about 15. My sister served it and I thought, wow, no. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to try it again. Okay, I, I have not. Oh, yeah. No. It's a, I see it in the in the meat case yes. sometimes uh, i go to some of these european uh grocery stores and you, i see tongue in there i don't even know how you would cook that thing yeah it's flopping around all the time yeah, it's it just stop looks, talking it's horrible. <laughs> looks horrible i'll bet it's really good what about what else Anything um heart or uh you used to tongue when you were in junior high with your girlfriend oh yes <laughs> that was much better oh yeah that um, was much better Heart, uh, sweet Fra- meats, which is brains, isn't it? Sweet oh, meats. no, I haven't done that. Yeah, I, I was thinking A- Adam came home from the Asian market over here, Mitsua. Mitsua? Mm-hmm. It's a With the cav- kind of like a caviar eggs thing. Oh, yeah. You no, know, he didn't finish it, but it was interesting to try it. Yes. Very crunchy, whatever eggs these were. Yeah. And Probably then, like salmon roe or something. Uh, yeah, that sounds right, mm-hmm. roe. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and it is yellowish or orangey. Yeah, well, depending on the kind you get. Okay, yeah. or if they color it, maybe. It's possible, yeah, and they come in different. Depending on the fish, you know, they're different sizes, so some can be very, very small, some are bigger. And these are just small. depending on the fish. Yeah. Uh, and then he also came home with a little packet of leaves. Looks kind of like maple leaves, but many more spikes along the edges, and um, I can't remember the name either. But really well, flavorful. You fell for that? We ate them. Those trick leaves that have been going around? You're not supposed to eat? <laughs> no. You ate those? Yes, we no. did. <laughs> yeah. Really? Leaves? Maybe they look like maple leaves? Yeah. Just in a packet, like this five from or six, laying flat in there and wrapped up. So it's the size of your palm. Is that, Are they like pickled or no, uh, no, olive no, oil? Fresh. Like just leaves. Fresh basil leaves. Oh, really? Um. So we ate them. They were good. They were sweet and kind of, I don't know, lemony. filling. But no, it's just a, a, I think it's a seasoning for cooking, but we just ate them. Okay. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. If somebody in Japan saw it, they'd be like, oh, you're doing it all wrong, Dave. (laughs) At first time I went to Mitsu, I came home with the octopus legs. Oh, really? Yeah, Laura wouldn't touch them. Yeah, I don't. I had to try them. I used to work for... uh, Back in my previous life, before I did computer business, I worked with my dad. We were salespeople for um, wholesale uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the companies that we represented were Japanese. Back in the days, you know, when Sansui and Sanyo and audio equipment was very big. Yeah. That's where people all spent all their money. And uh, lots of uh, Japanese people. Um, the principals. Buyers. Who, yeah, vendors. And they would always take us out for sushi and stuff. Nice. And a lot of sushi I like. And I like the salmon roll mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. And I like sushi. But the octopus. You couldn't do. I tried. Then, it's like it's like chewing rubber bands. It's very rubbery. Yes. The I, more you chew, the bigger it gets in your mouth. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay, then what you really should try is the octopus tongue. Yeah. <laughs> They're small but tender. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll skip the octopus. But I do like the other stuff. I like shopping at Mitsua. I always come home with something interesting there. And I also like, uh, back to the liver. Do you like liverwurst? Oh, yes, yes. Bra- uh, bratwurst? Uh, liverwurst. Is it similar to bratwurst? No, it's liverwurst. I think I do. Really? Well, we yeah, buy bratwurst like, you know, a lot. Yeah, it's totally different. Oh, it, maybe I don't. I'll have to get some for you. <laughs> And uh, we'll eat it. It's so good. I had that the other night. Just liverwurst on crackers and a little yep, crackers. pickles on the side and some mustard and then a little Tito's. Okay. Wonderful. Because why not? Makes everything better. I, You know, I could probably stomach the octopus if I had enough Tito's going down. Well, we like to say, too, the show is brought to you by sponsors like Ritter Krieg. Yay, Ritter Krieg. Uh, again, as we mentioned last show, now uh, selling LFT products also, and uh, have them good availability and quick shipping. Yes, free shipping free inside shipping the with contiguous Creek. United States. Ask that you States. don't order just a small little thing where the shipping costs more than that. So yeah. try and bulk your orders if you can. Take advantage of that free shipping. Right. And it's summer. You know, your kids are out of school probably, and it's time. Just think. It's time to spend some money on some ASL products, so go to the Ritter Creek website, rittercreek.com, 
Uh-huh. Tell them the two half squads sent you and you will get nothing. Mm, correct. And you can also pre-order um, Hatton and Flames. Right. Which is the new, looks like a mini historical game from MMP. Yep. So we won't get a copy to peruse on the show. We'll have to order it. We'll order that. And we can do that because we get donations. From kind listeners. Yes. Also brought to you by Bounding Fire Productions. Our very good friends there. Jeff's been playing a lot of Crucible of Steel. Having real fun with that. Very big fun. And I have been enjoying lots of the Into the Rubbles. Although, again, I've hit a, a slow point on that. I lost Tom Barkalo to Florida. Yeah. But to get you a rookie back we'll clone him. Into the Rubble 2. Yeah. Uh, great products from Bounding Fire Productions. Yeah. Like having those sponsors. Well, first up, we're going to look at Line of Sight. As we mentioned last show, we're going to try and get back into Chapter A, finish that up during the next several episodes. So pull up your and chairs, get out your notebooks, and be ready to take copious notes. Yes, and as usual lately, it's not just a teaching moment, but it's a, a little bit of a quiz show for Jeff. Yes, which I always enjoy. He has his old bell, sounds like this. And the new bell, which sounds like, oh, what a rich tone. It is, right? We have moved way up in <laughs> yes, the world, it baby. It is. Reminds me of Big Ben. So are you going to ring the deeper tone when you're very certain of your answer or just kind of random? Or You know, and this this is sort of the question, because I noticed that the old bell over the last few shows is, is starting to get a little dull sounding and the spring doesn't work on it, on it as well. And so one of my clients offered me this other bell and i thought i'll take that home and i'll get rid of the old bell well i didn't do that now we have both bells and this is why my house is so full of stuff <laughs> it's so hard to get rid of the old stuff i will be so, bringing i don't know i'm gonna have a hard time next year i will be bringing home my bell i use for the stock market game oh we can have three bells uh, and it's like a kind of antique one. Oh, it is yeah oh that's gonna be exciting yeah student gave it to me Oh, really? Here, Mr. Klein, here's your Christmas gift. You can use this during the stock market game next year. What a nice gift. Oh, this is great, because I used to go out loud like, ding, 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 market change. Yeah. (laughs) That's much better than a Starbucks gift card. Ding, 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 market change. (laughs) And then now I can ring the actual bell. It's funny, like, later in the year, I I, I reach into that drawer or bring it out, and we're way past the stock market and the market crash in the 20s, and we're into, like, World War II or... And then I'll ring that bell. <laughs> ding, 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 market change. And yeah. a couple of them jump up, you know, like their trained reflexes. Yeah. Oh, they look at the board. Oh, wait a minute. We're not yeah. playing that game, Mr. Kleinschmidt. Yeah. So anyway, uh, number six. Rule six. Rule number six. Line of sight. A6. Are you saying A6? A6, yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's typical to check your line of sight. How, Jeff? Typically with a thread. I use green thread, personally. And you place it? On the center dot of the hex where you're originating, where your originating squad is, to the center dot of the destination hex. Uh Uh-huh. And some exceptions, bypass, you might check a vertex. Yes. Et cetera. Maybe a road in a woods. Right. But uh, in general, that is true. Uh, my first games with Wally, we used a dental floss. Oh, really? I don't think he knew where this thread was kept by his wife. 
So yeah. he grabbed some dental floss, but we soon made it to thread. You know, we might get to a point someday where there is no more thread. It, would, it just won't be allowed anymore. All be It'll dental be all be floss. dental floss or <laughs> straws or something. I don't know. Gee, this Plastic is really bags. thick. Does the obstruction have to show on both sides of the thread to be blocked, Jeffrey? Yes, it does. Did you ring the bell? Oh. Jeffrey? Yes, it does. All right. Does it inherit- so it's important to use very thin thread, really. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. yeah. Is it cheating to use too skinny of a thread? No, I don't. I never. don't think so. No. You know, you got to use. At some point, folks, you got to whip out your common sense <laughs> you know, and just figure you're, we're doing the best we can. Just make a decision. Cheating is using the thick thread when you yeah. when it's you want the shot to be right. visible. Yeah. And the skinny thread when you want it to be right. s- uh, blocked. Yes. That would be cheating. Does inherent terrain in a hex affect line of sight along a hex side? So like an orchard hex, line of sight along a hex side? Yeah, absolutely. Because inherent yes. terrain takes up the entire hex, even though it visually may not look like it, it does. Because it's going along the, the line. Right. Can line of sight be checked before setup? Well, you can... Oh. Yes. Yes, it can. Now, I've heard some players think that's illegal. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, you could, obviously, you know you're going to play a scenario. You could do it at home. You can check all your line of sights at home, make notes, do whatever you want. Except it is actually only allowed in certain cases. Did you know that? So officially, you're sitting across from somebody, it's before you play... Mm-hmm. Oh, really? No, then tell me more, Dave. Those cases would be the setter up first, right. the first setter upper. Right. And is a scenario defender. Remember now, that's when your opponent's not on the board. Right. Or you have pre registered fire or boar sided weapons. So then it's allowed. Sounds to me like. Yeah. Uh, you cannot do it in any old game. When you're the attacker, you can never pre-check a line of sight set up for prep fire. Okay. So do it at home. <laughs> before you come. Yes. Before you show up. Yeah, well, do it yeah, then. No one's going to know. Um, well, are they saying you shouldn't? They're saying you shouldn't. It's Do this, it at all, You should ever? be the first guy to set up and a scenario defender. And actually... Wait. Oh, shoot. Was it a capitalized defender or just regular defender? Okay. I don't know. Or, again, pre-registered fire. And you can always check boresight of weapons because they've yes. pre-checked what they're going to be looking at. Right. So That's something I always forget about, the boresight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, you know, when I play, when you and I play, usually you'll pick a scenario. We'll just go sit down. We'll set it up and we'll get going. There's not a lot of preparation beforehand. All right. When I play Rich, we usually pick something two or three weeks in advance. He's got the stuff out. He's doing line of sight checks. He wants to know distances, everything. He wants mm-hmm. to know everything, mm-hmm. and, and he researches a lot beforehand. You can't stop somebody from doing that. Correct. Now, during play, when can you check your line of sight? Well, if you've called a shot, mm-hmm. you, but you have to make that commitment to call the shot. And if it's blocked... <laughs> yeah, and if it's blocked, you still have to roll as if you were taking the shot to see if you have any adverse effects, like breaking your weapon or whatever. 
but yeah, during um, during yes, yeah, for during breakage, shooting, rate of fire, other things. Yep. Um, there are exceptions. Concealment removal. Oh, of course, the guy's moving. Exceptions meaning you can't check. Then, then you check line of sight. For oh, you free, do. Yes, for okay. free. Oh, for free. Yeah. Uh, road right. road entry cost. It says. So hmm. if the guy's not moving in the woods, he's paying the road costs. You can check a line of sight. It, I don't know why, but it's on here. Okay. It's it's on your paper. It must be there. It <laughs> yeah, must be yeah. true. I'm sure everybody yeah. at home is nodding their heads Every, and going, everyone, oh, yeah, we know about that. Yeah, home can look at, yeah, it's yeah. probably like 6.1 You guys are dumb, but it's okay. Keep going. <laughs> You're entertaining. Uh, rule 6.2, obstacles. What do, how do they affect line of sight? Well, they get in the way because they're obstacles. <laughs> what have been some of the most difficult obstacles you faced in your lifetime, Jeffrey? Good bell choice. Um, I would say prom mm. when I my uh, senior prom. Why? When the girl that I wanted to go with. Uh, accepted an invitation from somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, that created a big obstacle for me. An emotional obstacle. Emotional obstacle. I'm still uh, getting over that. I had a physical obstacle once. Oh, did you? Yeah. If you ran quickly in football sprints yeah. at the end of practice, yeah. you got to go in and not run more sprints. Oh. So <laughs> I knew I could never win the first sprint or second, so I yeah. didn't go that hard. Ah. Just go nice and easy. Now, third sprint, maybe, I'm hitting it hard because I might win. So I'm running across the field, and I'm looking left to see the coach yell, Kleinschmidt. And when I looked back in front of me, it was a tree. No. Yes. Full speed, helmet into on. Into a tree. Into a tree. Bam. Right over backward. I think I went out. Wah, wah. <laughs> was those... that on America's Funniest Home Videos? <laughs> no. Darn. Recording it. I think when I came to, the coaches were over me. Oh, like, my Kleinschmidt, God. Kleinschmidt, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, that's what you call getting your bell rung. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> Dave. Sent me into the locker room. Aren't you and glad you were wearing your helmet? Yes. Wow. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> Running full speed yeah, into eighth a grade. Yeah. Yeah. Flag football, I think it was still then. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. now, they block line of sight through them. That would explain a lot now, now that I know your bell was so severely rung <laughs> at that rough. age. It's pre-con- pre-concussion protocol yeah. days. Um, can you shoot into a obstacle, though, if a guy's in a house? Yes. Uh-huh. Elevation you need, then, to see over these obstacles, of course. Right. So, 6.21. Can a, ha- can a half-level obstacle, Jeffrey, block line of sight through its hex. Yes, if you're not adjacent to it. Correct. Uh, can they make blind hexes, these half-level obstacles? No. That is also correct. Can it block line of sight to a higher level, these half-level obstacles? No. You are correct. Rule. Oh. Rule. Let me get caught up. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Rule 6.3, sir. I keep forgetting. I've got a short... Did you know I have a short-term memory problem? I know. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Depressions. Oh. Wah, wah. Have you ever had a time you've been sad? Yes. Me too. 
when Emily... No. Yes. When Emily Petschke and I broke up. Oh, yeah. That is sad. Because you think, wasn't getting any anymore. I don't, I don't think I can. It's not funny, Jeff. And I don't think I can <laughs> go on with this show right now. <laughs> We're going to pause here while Dave uh, okay. gathers himself together again. Pause. Yeah. We're paused. And now we're back. Okay. All right. I feel better now. Thanks for all those shots. Slapping you around and a couple of <laughs> shots, and he's back in the Come saddle again, ready to go. Get over it. That was a freshman year. Suck Get it over up. it. Suck it up. Thank you, sir. I have another. <laughs> Units in a depression, capital I-N. That means they're down in that gully or something. They can be out of your line of sight. Yes. Now, to see in... A depression hex unit must be one level higher for every hex of range to the unit in the depression hex. Okay. I know it sounds complicated. It is really not. Must be one level higher for every hex of range to the gully. Okay. So if the gully is down one hex, uh, one. No, range to it. Yeah, yeah. Keep all these things as a one-level depression. If, if the, okay. Yeah, so the gully's negative one. Yeah, you can't see it looking across the ground. Right. But, but for every level higher. of distance, you need to be one level higher. Yeah. So if it's one hex away, you're not adjacent to it, you need to be at level one. Yes. Easy cheesy now, right? It is now. <laughs> I'm sure I won't remember that at the time. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that yes, one I is. Will. Yes, I will. Now, can an adjacent unit always see into the gully? Yes. Yes, if it's a neg one gully. Yes. Yeah. There's where you get, if it's neg two, you got a whole different issue, which didn't come up in this rule explanation. At yeah, all. I'm actually so, uh, hard pressed to think of any uh, map boards that have a negative two gully. Yeah. I'm you sure can, there, I'm, there must can, be. It can be a hill level lower. Yeah. And then a gully. And then a gully. Yeah. Maybe that's how it works. Or valley. Yeah. Uh, Rule 6.4. Blind hexes. Oh. Have you ever played Blind Man's Bluff, Jeffrey? Um, no. How about Marco Polo blindfolded in a pool? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is this similar to that at all? I haven't played Blind Man's Bluff either. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I hear about it, but. It's I, like running around out in the outdoors, right? I, it's on a land. lot more complicated than that. The rules are actually quite extensive. If you're running around blindfolded, you could run into a tree. <laughs> you probably could. That'll ring your bell. <laughs> yep. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> now, blind hexes are created one per the height of the obstacle. So if it's a one-level obstacle, like a one-level house... Then there's one blind hex. If it's a second-story house, two... Two blind hexes. And for every... And for every five hexes of distance to that obstacle, fractions rounded down. So if I'm on ground level and there's a house and you're on the other side a couple hexes away... I can't see you. I go to level one. It's a level one house. You can see straight across it. Remember, this is the Dave Timonen explanation when I would take jars and <laughs> stack them. Yeah, I have Two some dice jars. See, I'm up high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see over. But 
and down. But if you're at the same level as the obstacle, you can only see across it to other obstacles. You gave me that sheet of paper from that website. I took it home last time. Yes. I, we got to find that link and put it up. If yes, you can help me I there. will look and find that. Um, great blind hex explanation. Yeah. But for audio listeners right now, we feel sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> People are driving. They're trying to figure this out. How does this go? Trying to imagine. Driving so off the road. The blind hex, every five hexes away, it creates another blind hex. So if it's 15 hexes away. Three blind hexes. In addition to the stories of the building. See how they run. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what are you doing with that carver's knife? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, depressions, okay, blind hexes. Uh, now, and, now it gets real tricky. For every elevation advantage greater than one level over the obstacle, yeah, decrease the blind hexes by one to a minimum of one, because anybody hiding behind a house is always going to be behind that house. You're not going to see them unless you're in a helicopter straight above them. Right. right? So, for every level... Greater than one. So as we were just saying, equal to the obstacle, you can see across up on top of the roofs, like we're all chasing each other on the rooftops in a city with the buildings are all the same level. Right. We can see each other. One level higher, you can now see down behind the obstacle. So, so you have to be every level greater than one to reduce the blind hexes by one for every level. Okay. That's it. I'm it, saying okay, like I understood that, and uh, <laughs> it's hard. You need this diagram. It, we're going to try and find. Yeah. Now, non-cliff crest lines are different. Non-cliff hill crest lines are different. Okay. Don't even think about it for today. Oh, okay. Six point four three. If a target is behind an obstacle and it's lower than the hex with the obstacle in it. You add the differences as more blind hexes. So simply, everyone's at ground level, level zero. The house is on level zero. You're up on level two or three building now, looking past that house and down. If the ground behind that house is a lower neg one valley, now you add another blind hex, and you simply invert that rule. So if the level's higher, it can reduce the blind um, Yeah. Reduce the blind hexes. Lower adds to the blind hexes. Okay. Is line of sight always reciprocal, Jeffrey? Always. Then define what that reciprocal word means. Well, it means if the firer can see the target, then the target can see the firer. Correct. Would that be, would that be correct? Yes. Okay. Do units block line of sight? Who's Eunice? Does Eunice block line Does of sight? Does a squad block Depends line Depends on uh, if she's been how dieting she or is? not. Does a unit, a squad, block line of sight? No. Can you shoot through units to a target hex and not affect them? Yes. Yes. Which, that was hard for me at first. Yeah, actually, I, I, I can actually remember when I first <laughs> learned that rule, I thought, wow, that's weird. Yeah. You would think that. Well, I can't shoot at you because my other guys are in the way. Yeah. No, no, you can't. But then if you think about the size of a hex, which is 40, so 40 yards, mm. I think. Meters. 40 meters. 
And a squad size is 10 to 12, 15. Yeah, 8 yeah. to whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could see how that could happen. But you would think somebody they're... would get hit accidentally. <clears throat> yes. Collater- like collateral, collateral damage. Ta- um, well, like a random sniper attack at night. Yeah. So can um, what units can cause a hindrance, though, to a... Again, a hindrance means what? It means you can fire through it. But, but it's going to uh, affect your firepower. Typically a plus one, especially in the early yeah. days of this game. But it depends. It could be a plus two smoke, dispersed smoke, plus three oh, smoke. Yeah. And then after that, with like Hakapale and so on, I think they added the uh, cleared woods, partially um, prepared fire zones where it's oh, different right. pluses. And yes. they added in different, uh, I think it's worse for maybe a vineyard or something. Yeah. So the things that cause a hindrance are armor fighting vehicles and wrecks. That's true. To shoot true. through them, typically. Yeah. Typically. That's units. That'll units. be a plus one. Yeah. And 6.7, hindrances. Direct fire and spotting attempts traced through a hindrance causes the plus one. Two, IFT table, your rifles and stuff, small arms. Okay. Your to hit shot, your ordnance cannon rolling to hit a target, your artillery accuracy die roll, also. Okay. Now, does a hindrance negate interdiction, sir? Yes, it does. You're it does. Yeah, you can't be interdicted. It's and and that's one that. Well, I wouldn't say it took me a while to learn or remember, but I've always I've questioned it a little bit. Because and it came up the other day when I was playing Rich yesterday because he was doing some routing, and the only thing between me and him was one wheat field. Uh, yeah, grain. Thank you. I think I've been drinking too much grain. I couldn't remember the word <laughs> grain. So there was there was one grain hex between me and him, and he happily uh, routed, and I could not interdict him, and I thought that was kind of. Cheesy. Yeah, I wasn't sure I agreed with that. Yeah. But, you know. Does a hindrance cancel assault fire? Um, I'm... Oh, can, does, it, does a hindrance cancel assault fire? An assault fire, of course, is when you... Uh, the, Add the, one to yeah. your advancing fire. Right, to your advancing fire. Um does it still count through a grain? I'm going to say yes. It still counts. You're right. Because it. So does it cancel salt fire? No, it does not. It does not. Does it negate first fire movement open ground? Yes. Yes, it does. Does being in a hex affect outgoing shots, uh, hindrance hex? No. No. You are no, correct. You can, you can Man, fire like clearly. like 100%. Yeah. Oh, I'm forgetting the bell, but <laughs> probably after a while people are like, stop, would you stop the, ringing that bell? Yeah, I'll, they are. I'll send you extra money if you stop ringing that bell. Remember when I brought the buzzer, the, the epilady from that game, um, Taboo? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Rob was like, what is that noise? Yeah. Can you not do <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, would you stop? Exception is smoke. Oh, firing out, of, out smoke. of smoke. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, firing out of smoke is more detrimental you, than firing into the smoke. Yeah. Man, you are getting to be a good ASL player. Some are more than one level, by the way. Like some, like uh, smoke. hindrances. Yeah. Towers. Right. Orchard. Fog. Each hex between 
You and the target. Does it count? So when you're shooting through those huge wheat fields? Yes. Yes. So they add up. If you hit six. If you hit six, then you can't see, well, over six. Over six. Then you can't see the target at all. You know, what if I'm shooting along a hex site that has a plus one hindrance in this hex to the left, and right adjacent to it to the right is a plus two hindrance hex? I'm right down the hex spine. Do I count the plus one or the plus two? Well, knowing what I know about this game and how unfair it is at all times, it's the plus two. You got to take that plus two. Yes, you count only the higher. You don't add them up. Last rule for line of sight. You know, we did line of sight before. Did we? Because you're having a memory. I I put a picture on the page of a hockey game where they drew a line of sight LOS. Really? With a puck or something. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. So we're doing it again. Hopefully this time it's been better. Everybody's tuned out by now anyway. It's just you and me, Dave. <laughs> well. And the crickets. They better come back because here come the interviews right after this. Yeah. Even adjacent units do not always have a clear line of sight to each other. That is a rule, especially, and they give some examples. You need to look at them in the book. Bypass. Yeah. Adjacent gullies. We're both at neg one. Right. Right next to each other. We can't see each other. Different levels in houses. So right. we're adjacent, but yes. you're at level two. I'm at level one. We don't see each other. Like that. Building, just buildings with the thick line. Um, yes, with block between, uh, row houses. Yes. Yeah, row houses. And that's what I got for line of sight, sir. And what you, you got there? If you want to know more about some line of sight things, I'm going to refer you to a couple of tables from Rich Spilkey. There's Table 11, which is uh, most excellent hindrance effects on residual firepower and fire lane uh, RFP attacks. So this is very handy for those hindrances when you got your fire lanes going. Tells you if you, you know, are you going to maintain the fire lane or is there residual firepower? between hard and soft targets. Mm, yes. So very handy table there. And then also table, uh, let's see, I think it's 13. Uh, this is a very good one for helping you figure out blind hexes. This one is called Blind Hexes Created Based on Distance from the Target Fire Obstacle and the Relative Levels Between Them. And a number of people have come up with player aid charts on this. I'm also going to refer to, let's see, I just downloaded it. So while I'm looking for this, Dave, you can entertain the people maybe with some card tricks. Shadow puppets. I'm doing that where you link your fingers and then you find your head and you open them. And we'll put links uh, where you can download these two charts, which I found. There's no author on this particular one. It's called the Line of Sight Aid Sheet. It's two pages long. It's dated May 28th of 2000 and has uh, it's qu- quite extensive to help you figure out your line of sights and uh, different levels of obstacles. And then here's one called Line of Sight and Blind Hexes. Oh, even this is a new one. Oh, and this one is in uh, Spanish. Excellent. Haven't they all been deported? Leones de Vision. That's lines of sight in Spanish. Look at that. I didn't even know I had that. So, and there was another one, yeah, that I gave to you. So, anyway, we'll put all these on the website. You can look look those up. All right. Very good. Line of sight. Thank you, Dave.
I met you guys oh, once yeah, 15, before. Fifteen. That's fine. When you were interviewing uh, Bill Connor. Oh yeah, that goes so, back. Yeah, let, me let, let, let me introduce you to I Dave. To Dave, to, to, up. to okay, Dave okay, Gennard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Uh, <laughs> this is Dave Gennard. Let me introduce him. Here's his name. <laughs> Dave Gennard. I recognize the name from ASL Products, don't and I? This, this is Dave Klein. Some play testing or Dave. This is Jeff Hello. Hello. Jeff. Dave. Would you I do you like mind being on uh, <laughs> do you mind being on live video? We're doing a live feed to uh, Oh, I Facebook. don't care if it's not going to break your machine. <laughs> We've got right now we have uh, Scott Mullins and Dennis Donovan are watching right now. So Oh, you oh, got Mullins on there? Yeah. yeah. That's what hey, you how you doing, Scott? Yeah, and I I forgot to bring my camera, so we're just going to have to share. Well, I just want to throw a shout out to Scott first round St. Louis. Be there. St. Louis, yeah, this year. Well, we just saw each other. Oh, already happened. Oh, okay. Okay. And we didn't get a chance to play because he lost too many games. Oh. (laughs) Or do you want too many? Depending on how you look at it. Yeah. You might want too many. Well, I always look at it from the perspective. Well, I was very um, rich, eager to introduce you guys to Dave because Dave is a. In my mind, a legend. I've seen the name everywhere in the squad leader world, and I know that you uh, have been following the game, Dave, as long as I have, Dave Kleinschmidt. Yeah. And uh, but Jeff, I know is a little bit newer to the game, you know, compared to to, to us. But Dave Gennard, beside me here, I mean, he knows where the skeletons are buried. I mean, this guy was playing the game when I was only dreaming about playing the game and wishing I could play the game. He, he has helped write articles about, you know, in the, I'm talking like the late 80s, and early 90s. Don't you have a nickname, Gun Gunner or something? Or He probably has a lot Dave of nicknames. Gunner, that Gunner, I can't, Gennard, can't, I can't no, I, you know, talk about. Uh, I mean, his brother. Mark Nixon always called my brother, uh, Johnny, uh, bazooka up the Heine Gennard. Oh. But <laughs> that's nobody's really called me anything that you can say on oh, here. But, 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 but Dave was, you know, if you remember those first crossfires, I mean the first ones. Yeah. I mean the very early girl going, you saw his name all over the place. Yeah, okay. He was I'm in sure that core Ohio group that almost were like, if I could use the word disciples in a... I like the word founders. Uh, yeah. Founders is a good word. Because you got to remember, a- ASL... The birthplace of ASL is Ohio. Yeah. You know, the birthplace of ASL is basically Warren, Ohio, because that's where Mac grew up. Oh, Mac came out of Ohio. Mac was from Ohio. Oh, okay. Mac would have never been an East Coaster if it hadn't been for ASL, uh, or so he, originally squad leader. Oh, okay, so he went out there to work at, yeah. at, basically, at Hill. Basically, you know, he went out there to make this game happen. You know, but I, I was just fortunate. I, I was a... Uh, I was an HMGS East member. Historical uh, Miniature Gaming Society. Right. I, I have, and, and to this day, I've got thousands of dollars worth of miniatures. Oh, uh, yeah. Jeff can tell you about my pool. Rich can see my basement. Oh, yeah. so, well, I, I'm loaded I, with miniatures. Yeah, I specialize in, like, Civil War and Napoleonics yeah, I got a and bunch that. Of that. And, and the thing was is we were always trying to figure out a way to simplify it, do World War II with the miniatures, and, and it just never worked. And uh, so when Mac came up with an idea of how to do like miniatures, but with a board, you know, a few of us were all over it. And uh, and I just happened to be fortunate enough because I was one of the old guys, and I got invited by these young guys, guys whose names you recognize, you know, Bill Connor, Mark Nixon, Bill Sisler, uh, to come, Bob McNamara, to come work with them. And they just looked at me as just being 
yeah, this is the old guy that does miniatures and has a lot of wargaming experience, you know. But I have an English major. So I helped with, like, punctuation and stuff. Because, as everybody knows, the rules of ASL, oh, punctuation is usually a death knell. But, uh, well, but it, can, it can change the interpretation of a rule completely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's just a, when he says these names, Bill Sizzler and Fish oh, yeah. O'Connor, yeah. I mean, that makes me tremble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these well, are the names. Yeah. Well, you had people like you had people like my brother, uh, Johnny. Everybody knows him as Johnny. His name's Paul, though. Uh, that's another story for another day. But uh, he he never even read the rule book. Now this is a guy who played four, Mike McGrath four times when McGrath was in his peak, and uh, and his record with Mike is two and two. Wow. And uh, he never he's never even read the rule book. But he became one of the best. He hasn't played now in probably 12, 13 years. Uh, he moved back to New England, and he just stopped playing. But uh, but he can still play. And he was like one of the, he would never vie for tournaments, you know, to win them. But he'd always be like the number one spoiler. And... Uh, and people were afraid to play him. You know, they, they just were scared to play him. They used to say, nobody rolls more threes. Uh, but uh, he got to be such a good player, not by ever reading the rules. He got to know the rules. He knew all the rules. He just didn't know where in the book to look them up. Yeah, because wow. he was taught he right, was, yeah. playing, by playing the game. Right. Which is like Dave Timonen, who has been on the air with us, and yeah. I play with all the time. You've been now, playing he won't play to your level. He won't play to my level, but he could sit down and teach you a basic ASL system, <laughs> and he's never really read the rules. Yeah, but it was like he has my brother. He took. <laughs> it was like Wednesday night after work, he's playing me. Okay, Thursday night after work, he's playing Nixon. Friday, Fish is coming up, and he's playing Fish. You know, Saturday... Bill Sissler stops over and he's playing Bill Sissler. And then when he gets done with Sissler, he's got to play me again. You know, so, I mean, he's going through Murderer's Row three, four nights a week, <laughs> every week of the year, except maybe a couple of holiday weeks, you know, so that when he goes to the, like, the old Don Cons and Avalon Cons and, and Oktoberfest, it's like he was just, he would just buzzsaw through people and then he would lose on a simple thing because he knew what the rule was, but he didn't, you know, I he, he didn't know where to find it and prove right. it and prove it. Classic oh, example so he got in a conversation was playing, with uh, Steve Pleva, and I think they were playing Breezeless Day or something, and he had this upfront defense that Pleva thought he was just going to roll through, and Steve pretty much did, but my brother caused so much damage, and then what happened was there was uh, Steve had to get uh, half tracks with infantry down this road to get this little building or two in the back. So my brother had a Willie P concentration, FFP concentration, uh, on, on the road. So going down the road, three of the hexes were going to go through Willie P. And Steve just, and my brother had nothing left to stop anything, so Steve starts rolling down the road. And my brother's going, well, that's a morale check. And Steve goes, Steve goes, it's only a morale check when it's first place. And oh. my brother goes, well, my brother told me that it's a morale check all the time. Oh. Well, there, there was like four or five people watching this game. 
but they couldn't kibitz. No, they just automatically assumed Steve was going to be right. Oh, okay. Mm. And my brother was like, he's looking around for me, and I don't know, I was out <laughs> doing extracurriculars or something. But, uh, but you know, he, he he didn't have anybody. And Steve said, well, just show me the rule. And my brother didn't yeah. have no idea oh, where he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, afterwards, gosh. I told my brother, I said, you could have tried C-section on the first page. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah. but he ended up running through without taking the morale checks, and, and it won him the game. So my brother is one of those guys that... So the rule is... Uh, now, it is when it's first place for white phosphorus. But I'm assuming your brother was right... That it is, did the, was he supposed to take a check when he yes. entered? Yes. Yeah. Well, because it's when he enters that Because bridge, FFEs are continually I'm not off. sure, but I believe Dave, so. Oh, okay. FFEs continually go off. Okay. So if you have a Wooly P FFE, it's, every time something enters, it enters it, that it has space. to take the yeah. check. But, you know, it, that, it, that's just an example of, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was of no consequence either way because ASLAC to me is a social event. I've been to 31 of them, so... Uh, and my brother used to go all the time, and it was always a social event for him. So it's like, ASLAC is like, I, it's the only tournament I go that I, I don't prepare for, that I don't uh, care yeah, if I win you're or going lose. to play. You know, I, I, I want to play to win in the minis. And it's more an open you know, structure. But, well, it, it's, no, it's more like I just want to play my friends. Yeah. Because there's certain guys that yeah. I don't see, uh-huh. you know, but once a year. And see, here's the thing. It's like most people, you know, at least socially acceptable people, uh, you know, your friends are the kids you grew up with or the kids you went to grade school or high school with or the kids you went to college with or the kid, the people you worked with in your careers, uh, you know, friends of family and stuff like that. The thing is, is I haven't seen it. And I, I'm going to do my, in June, I'm going to my 50th high school reunion. And I haven't seen any of those guys in 50 years. I haven't seen anybody and may never see anybody that I went to two different colleges with. Uh, in career, I always own my own company, so the only people I worked with were employees, and they come and they go, and yeah. usually they don't end up being good, good friends, friends, and the yeah. ones you think are usually disappoint you down the road. Uh, because they always looked at you as their boss. The boss. Uh, so my only friends, I mean, in my whole life, other than my family, and I had five brothers and five sisters, so wow. I have, you know, a football team there. But uh, my only friends are ASL people. Yeah. And a uh, few other war gamers out there on the fringes, but basically ASL people. So when you're best friends are people you only see two or three times a year. I mean, to me, that's sad. But it makes each time I see him that much better. Yeah. So when I see a guy like Jim Taylor or one of our favorites, Pete Mudge. <laughs> Pete Mudge. <laughs> Pete and I are working on a Rock Boy pack for uh, the uh, for Oktoberfest. Pete does, he, What's he, a Rock Boy pack? Well, Rock Boy is a... It's a Actually, it's a little plastic Viking statue of a guy with a rock to getting ready to throw it. Uh, at Aslock, Pete and Tommy Svetinovich and Taylor and Wes Vaughn decided that on Saturday night, if none of them were in the Grofos contention, that they were going to play to the last man. And I'm always the first alternate because most years Taylor or Wes Vaughn were uh, 
you know, in contention still. Yeah. And uh, and Rock Boy is just the thing that yeah, the winning side. The yeah. So we're doing a Rock Boy pack because Pete Mudge, uh, I'm doing the marketing, and the marketing line is, uh, which I think is great, is uh, brought to you by the insane mind of the man who gave you Acts of Defiance and Valhalla Bound. <laughs> you know, because everybody knows those, those two are good. scenarios. Yeah, right. And Popular. Pete does real good scenarios, but Pete is also one of these guys that. He likes to put quirks into the scenarios. Like, I play-tested one, and it's uh, fins on skis. And it's actually a scenario where the skis are beneficial. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you know, you've <laughs> yeah, got often that angle sled. I forget how you pronounce them, the sleds. You can actually fire the machine guns mm -hmm. off the sleds. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. yeah, the Akios uh, or the... But, it, you know, it's like acts of defiance. I mean, how many scenarios have Goliaths in them? Yeah. How many scenarios have... Hitler Youth in sewers. Sewers, yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that. I love <laughs> that. I remember that. You know, so it, it'll be, it'll probably be eight scenarios coming out for Oktoberfest. I mean, he asked me how many copies of packs that we should print. And I said, well, I don't know, Pete, what do you think? And he goes, well, I was thinking we should have at least 20. Whoa. And I'm yeah. like, 20? I says, why, I says, why don't you print up about 2,000? Uh, yeah, I'd go 1,000 yeah. times. I says, yeah, as soon as they more. see your name. and yeah. But Pete... Like me, in a lot of respects, Pete's one of those guys that he doesn't think anybody in the hobby even knows who he is. Well, we've interviewed him, and he yeah. was very humble. Yeah, he, but, he, he, but he did a good interview. He is. Yeah. He, yeah, well, until he has a little Canadian mist in him, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but Pete's one of those guys. He'll drive down from Detroit, spend a weekend at my house. Diane, my better half, she loves Pete. She thinks, thinks the world of him. Him and Taylor and Tommy Svetinovich are like... Her three favorite ASLers. Uh, that's like when we have the picnic. I mean, picnic originally was her idea. You know, she goes, "Well, I got to tell, tell them about your picnic." Yeah, they, well, I don't which know about one that. is that? Yeah. I don't know the. Well, the picnic any? is just uh, when we started getting a lot of the Europeans and the Australians and people from outside of the U.S., uh, people that you never saw at other tournaments, coming. I started realizing after a few years. He's that, talking about Aslock and yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, at yeah. Aslock. Uh, I, I started realizing after a couple of years, man, I, these guys come every year, I don't even know. I don't know anything about them. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm thinking, you know, I've known Ray, Ray Wilhosen since 1987. And I wasn't sure if Ray was married, if he was still working, <laughs> oh, right. if he you had know, any kids. You know nothing personal about them. I knew right? nothing about it. I'm thinking, you know, these are guys that I consider dear friends. Uh -huh. And I know nothing about their personal lives. Yeah. So I was talking to Diane about it, and she says, well, you should get them out of the tournament and yeah, into a social over. setting. Yeah. And I said, well, how the hell am I going to do that? And she says, well, let's have a picnic. So we started a picnic, and the first year, we were kind of surprised because about 30 people showed up. I mean, last year, we had 60 people there, you know, which is, to me, that's amazing. But we do it on the first Sunday. So a lot of guys that don't come in except for the main tournament, that, yeah. you know, aren't going to be there. Can't see it. But all Can't the people that travel a distance are usually there. And every year, so, some people start coming in earlier every year, just because they can play in the World Cup and go to the picnic. Yeah. So I always said the picnic is six o'clock till whatever on Sundays, and then last year I said, no, nah, just anybody who wants to come over after two o'clock is fine. Yeah, you know, you can stay for 10 minutes, you can stay for 10 hours, I don't care. So you're the international representative for our country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I like to put it as cruise director. There you go. Yeah. Nice. It's cruise director. But the, the thing about the picnic is, 
very as many you know it, you got to remember it's all ASLers, but you'll very rarely do you hear any ASL conversation because all the wives are there mm-hmm. or kids, no, or kids no, are basically oh because not everyone's bringing their family down. Martin right. Vicker came from Scotland last year, last yeah. year and he brought Susan with him. Uh, I think Stan Jackson because he had just retired brought his wife Melissa. But Diane wishes they'd all bring their wives, but very seldom is that the right. case. Right, yeah, for the week, right, unless yeah. you're a local person. Yeah. yeah, and it always ends the same. It always ends with a big bonfire in the back, and uh, Nixon kind of staggering around after about seven or eight beers, uh, <laughs> telling old war stories to a bunch of rapt listeners like Taylor and some of what I call the younger guys. To me, the younger guys in ASL are anybody 55 and under. You know, that's, that's oh, Dave, you just problem. missed the group. I just missed it. Oh, yep. no. You know, when you You're mentioned Mark Nixon, I just have to, you know, Mark Nixon, if you guys have read his material, he was a phenomenal writer. I mean, he uh-huh. made squad leader scenario strategy sound like an epic story. I mean, he made you want to play that scenario just for the experience. Yeah. I mean, have you read his material, Jeff? It's phenomenal. Hmm. You need to look at it. I'm telling you, it's worth your time. And it's one of the things that makes ASL kind of unique because, there, you know, there's obviously many, many thousands and thousands of games. But how many games have the devotion that ASL has and the depth of contributions by people who write yeah. about their scenarios and after-action reports and create all that stuff that's so amazing? Good point. Or could have a picnic yeah. and have 60 people show up that don't know each other. Yeah, well, and, yeah. Uh, it's always weather dependent. I mean, I try and keep people sheltered. Let's face it. But yeah. It's a big, big, big open backyard. Yeah. A lot of trees, a lot of deer. You know. Ah, so okay. we can't let this opportunity go by, though, Dave. You got to tell them about just some of your experience in the history as a converted from squad leader to advanced squad leader, and the play testing that occurred, and the rules development. You know, well, just just some of that. You you were on the ground floor of that stuff. Well, yeah. In the beginning. Well, see, in the beginning. In the beginning, it was just Bob. McNamara with a big binder full of notes, uh, but one, one squad leader, once Avalon Hill picked up squad leader, and he started coming out with Cross of Iron and all this, we were just avidly playing it, playtesting it, playing it all the time, four or five nights a week, uh, and there were so many things wrong, I mean just so many things wrong, you know, it's like you're running tanks in front of tanks and then you're going from woods cover to woods cover and you can't even shoot the guy, you know. And we started taking notes and we just started writing the stuff down, you know. Well, this is ridiculous. This needs to change. This is messed up. And we would just write all these notes and then we would just send them to Mac. And Mac would start working on it. And then one day he just goes, you know what? We just got to throw the game out, do a new game. And that, wow. He goes, we, can, we can't take and change this anymore. If we do, it's just going to be a whole different game anyhow. And then, you know, then it became ASL. And then when ASL came, started coming out, and Beyond Valor, then it was like you needed playtest groups. And back then, you just didn't have a group of playtesters. You had playtest groups. So you had the Cleveland area group. So you had Bill and Dave Sisler, myself and my brother. You had Mark Nixon, uh, uh, Fish, Daryl. Uh, they had all these Yeah, yeah, people. that's a core group. Yeah, and uh, and we used to play very often. And then you had the Detroit play test group. Uh, Dagger which the, became well, Dagger that was Basically at that time, that was Mitch Balicki, uh Eric Baker, uh, Kurt Martin, Ricky Rogers, Pete Mudge, 
uh, Mike, Dr. Mike Izzo. Uh, you know, I, forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody, uh, but you know they, they had a real solid core of play testers there. And then you had the Florida Group, which was run by our good friend Russ Button. Now, we would all do play test the same scenarios. And we would send in all our notes, and we and back then when you play tested, you wrote had sheets. You actually wrote a description of the whole scenario and things that happened, and you had you. It, it was like throwing out the high dice and low dice. You know, you, you'd write the description, and well, we I critically hit the KV, and uh, that was pretty much bog. And, you know, and you would take that into account that yeah, but that's only going to happen one out of fifty blanks. Um, and you were always very careful about it. And the thing was, is all the stuff that the Detroit guys came up with and all the stuff the Cleveland guys came up with were totally opposite from the stuff that the Florida guys came up with. Hmm. Hmm. And it was back then that we started realizing that, you know, some of these guys just sign up to play test, but they're not really play testing it. Well, yeah, even um, thinking about even me play testing for Hakapala, I kind of told them, you know, my experience level and knowledge of the rules, and my friend Dave Timonen, who did it with me, would not guarantee the success they're probably looking for, you know. But but you throw in what I'm saying w along with the people who broke those scenarios, yeah. which I couldn't figure out to break. And then they're like, oh, we had to throw that one out, and I felt bad that I didn't know to, how to bust the scenario to make the better product, mm -hmm. but we were, you know, not the main playtesters for that material, so I know what you're saying. The, the thing about playtesting is, is if you don't playtest the scenario and switch sides, if you don't, if you, if you just playtest the scenario twice and you play the one side once and, you know, you switch with whoever you're playtesting with, we used to play each scenario like, Probably like six anywhere to from eight. 12 to 16 oh, yeah. times. <laughs> wow. You know, we would you know, keep charts and you know if a scenario didn't come up like if if it broke sixty forty, then we found a way to adjust it with, you know, balance. But if it was anything over sixty forty, it's like, no, we gotta change something. And it's like Bill Sissler says, if you gotta change the amount of turns uh, in a scenario, or if you gotta change uh, the distance of the objective. There's certain things that Bill always said if you've got to make this change, it's a dead scenario. You know, we got to change it, we got to fix it. Uh, and, and that produced scenarios that if you look at those raw stats for things that have had 150 planks, uh, you'll see that most of those scenarios came out pretty balanced. Yeah. You know, you'll have 83, 82, you'll have, you know, accident finance, what's that, 153, 157 or something <laughs> like that, you know. But most of those scenarios... They also get played really that many right. hundreds of times because they're right. so awesome. I mean, the Detroit guys got so uh, disgusted with it at one time that they started the route report, which was basically, I think, the first rag, ASL. Yeah, and I, I actually rag. had those. <laughs> Somehow and, uh, I found out early enough. And I, I, I loved, I mean, the route report to me was... Oh, they were hilarious. Nick, Nixon had great articles in there. About Kurt Martin had great Ricky Rogers was a real... I mean, he was like one of those deadpan comedians. Oh, yeah. You know? I, I'd be that. laughing so hard I had tears rolling down yeah. my cheeks. Yeah, even the t-shirt with the guys routing the blacks. That's right. The yeah, great. I, I bought that. Oh, when, yeah. When in doubt, route. <laughs> when in doubt, route. <laughs> I loved it. It was my favorite I still answer. Have, still have the shirt. Uh, but the... Uh, you know, that's what we're missing nowadays. Let me interrupt one second. A little bit of... Uh, uh, the passion. 
Yeah. Those guys, yeah. I remember the Windy City Wargamers here in Chicago. Now, I was not part of the circle then, but I was sort of on the fringe. But those guys would make T-shirts and fly to tournaments. Oh, to play like, together. And, and, you know, like to like advertise how good they were, that they were going to shark the rest of the non-Chicago guys. It was all in good fun. Yes. But, I mean, they, they had such camaraderie and spirit. They couldn't wait to go and, you know, say, we're the Chicago ASL group and we're awesome with their little T-shirts. Yeah. I don't know. Just, where's well, that? Well, you've got to realize yeah. that. In, in, in ASL, as in sex, as you get older, passion wanes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and other <laughs> things interfere to get the whole group together on the same weekend. Yeah. In real life. And, I mean, I... Uh, my son's tournament, you know, I my, can't go. The thing I look forward to most of my life was retirement. I, I look forward to retirement because I figured, man, when I retire, I can play ASL all the time. All the time. <laughs> you know? And now I find out you know, and and I retired like four years ago or so, and uh, and now I find out, man, it does me no good if I retire so that I can play ASL all the time. If the other guys that play ASL aren't retired, can't play <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or then suddenly you're gonna have to take care of grandkids yeah. or something, and suddenly you're like, oh, forgot there'd be other things to do in old age too. Yeah, health, but, the, but the route report. I mean, and the other thing about the route report is you always uh, you always got a new scenario sometimes too. Yeah. But it's, it's like real classics, like Stiff Fight. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't remember all of them because they got remade, reprinted, and that. But all their scenarios were great. And the reason was is because we all played those scenarios right. before they even got put in a route report. We all played them like ten times. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to get on my soapbox on about is, you know, we'll go to these tournaments, including the one I'm at today, and, you know, and I'm... I'm medium regular at most of these tournaments I go to some of them but you know everyone wants not everyone but the majority of the players that seem want the new 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 scenarios I think there are hundreds and maybe even thousands or thousand maybe not thousands but there's certainly hundreds of these classic scenarios that are proven to be well balanced yeah proven to be fun and you almost never see them in tournaments or you don't see them in tournaments because people consider them old in quotation marks Old does not make them bad. In no, fact, it some of the no. old ones are fantastic. And don't tell me that all these players here today have played all of those scenarios no, that he's right. talking about. They haven't. So it's new to you. It might be 15 years old, but if you've never played it, it's new to you. Yeah. yeah and you, you the find the, would... those replayable scenarios, you can play them differently every time. So you would... Well, and you know they're balanced, and you know yeah. they're fun. I yeah. mean, right. if, they've been, if they've been played 200 times, there must I be think, something to them. Yeah. Yeah, I think with tournaments, though, I think the, the, the tournament directors... Uh, they always want something new and fresh, you know. Now I don't have a problem with, you know, if you're doing theme-based rounds, uh, having one round, to, you know, the classics, and just pick five great classic tournament scenarios and make everybody. That's play that's with. a good idea. Yeah. You know, or or I don't mind having uh, every round have one classic in it. You know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I but I doubt that those scenarios would get played in that round. Then people would go for the new stuff. So like, a, you know, a classic round where you pick five classic scenarios. Yeah, and, and that's, you, know, you can't so pick that a everybody one. that wants to play for that title or that would, they got to play at least one of those classics. So that that would that's one way to think about that. But I think from TD standpoints, and and I've never been a TD. I did run the bunker for 2 years, which by the way, all you New England guys at the Nor'easter this weekend, I want to tell you that Bunker, that was my trademark before you guys ever had a club. <laughs> uh, the bunker, to digress a little bit, was uh, 
after the fourth, I think it was the third Oktoberfest, Bill Connor decided that, oh, we can't get enough of this. We're going to have Turkey Fest. And Turkey Fest was always Thanksgiving weekend, right after Oktoberfest. So we'd meet down there by Youngstown in the hotel for Oktoberfest. And then four weeks later, we'd meet the same hotel for Turkey Fest. Well, after two Turkey Fests, Bill said, you know, it's too much, too soon. You know, we, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I says, well, you know, we got to have something to do. We can't go through the whole winter. <laughs> so I decided come January, after the holidays, and everybody was done with their stuff, that I would invite some people over to my house. Now, I lived in a suburb of Cleveland called Lakewood, and I was living in one of the ex-mayor's mother's houses, which was this huge frickin' house, way bigger than I needed. And uh, at the time I was married and I was raising my two, two of my boys, and uh, so I decided I'm going to have the bunker, and it was in January, right around the time that the uh, winter offensive is now. And, uh, and I, sent, I made 50 flyers, and me and my brother and Nixon and that, we sent them around to people in a 50-mile radius of Cleveland. Because I figured, well, if people are going to come over and stay at my house for, you know, from th Thursday, uh, or maybe I said Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday, if they were going to just come over and stay at the house and play ASL, uh, that they aren't going to drive that far. Okay. Tuesday night before the bunkers, and what my, my wife would take at the time, uh, would take the two boys and go out to her mother's and I would move all the furniture out of the house and my sister had a restaurant so I had access to a lot of tables, long tables and chairs and I would just take and put tables and chairs in the dining room and I had four bedrooms and you know and I had an attic, I had you know tables just set up everywhere and, and I figured out oh, we'll get maybe 12 guys you know back then you know Aslock got you know we were up to about 60 so I figured I'll oh, get if I can get 12 guys, that's great. I got 12 people to play for a week. <laughs> and uh, so I send the flyers out. That Tuesday, I get a call, and it's Gary Fortenberry. And he goes, hey, can a guy get a ride? And I says, Gary, I'm not driving to Washington, you know, to pick you up. And he goes, I'm at Hopkins. And I says, what are you doing at Hopkins? And he says, why? I heard about the bunker. And I says, that's over the 50-mile radius, buddy. How the hell did you hear about it? Well, it turns out... Kevin Meyer had lived somewhere in Pennsylvania, had visited somebody who was within the 50-mile radius, made copies of the flyer I sent that person, <laughs> took it there. The next thing I know, you know, so I go pick up Fortenberry, and on the way back, he goes, he goes, hey, are you set up yet? And I says, oh, yeah, I'm all ready to go. He goes, good, because McGrath and Cheney are driving in tonight. <laughs> you know, and the next thing I know is I got... All these guys, we ended up with 60, 65 people oh there. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Living in my house in the middle of winter from a Wednesday night through a Sunday. It's like, it's like Woodstock. Yeah. I mean, they it was didn't just, know. And, and I, at the time, there was this homeless guy who was about, about my age uh, that I felt sorry for, so I let him live in my attic. And actually, I let him live in the basement. He kind of took the attic over. And uh, the guys that were at the bunker always remember him as uh, Marty the Joe guy because Marty would always come around. He, 
he wore an apron from my sister's restaurant. And, you know, and this is a short guy, real scraggly beard and that. Um, always wore a baseball cap because he was bald and didn't like it. And, and he'd walk around to the tables, you know, anybody need a cup of joe? You know, and, and he was just serving. And then eventually I just said, you know, because you know, there was plenty of places you could walk to to eat. But it was January. It was cold outside. You know, so, so Marty, we set up a couple grills out on the back porch. Marty's making hot dogs for everybody. You know, I couldn't trust him with hamburgers, but he was making hot dogs for everybody. And, you know, and Marty would come in, serve you coffee, hot dogs and stuff like that. And we played solid game. You know, I, I was always worried about where guys were going to sleep. Nobody slept. You know, nobody wow. slept. Yeah. And then the following year, I did it again. And this time, this time I didn't send out flyers. It was just word of mouth. And, but we only got, had about we had about thirty six that year. And then after that, it was like winter offensive started. So I says, okay, I'm not going to compete with winter offensive. You know, besides which, it'd be better if I can go and just concentrate on playing. And then, uh, and then right after that, Vic and all those guys set up the door, the Nor'easter Club, and the bunker. And I used to tease them all the time. You stole that. <laughs> you stole that. But, uh, but yeah, that that's that that was the original bunker. But see, that's what you said, passion. Right. And that is passion. Yeah. When you are. You got a guy that opens up his house to have people come over, which, by the way, John Dober is doing since he moved to Gettysburg. Um, and you get that kind of response. That's amazing. You it get is. that kind of a response. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I remember being 26, 27 years old, and I couldn't wait to go to my first ASLOC to meet people like you. You were a legend in my mind. <laughs> This, and, the, uh, guy that, mm-hmm. the guy that's knocked me out of two tournaments. And, I, and I, I've had, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't even have a hotel room. I just got in the car. I didn't sleep for you know, at least a day and a half. I, I, I mean, I just could I mean, I was just on adrenaline. You pulled the I, well, I eventually <laughs> fell asleep, but I was on a concrete floor somewhere. I mean, I just didn't, I didn't care. I wanted to be where the, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't even think about that. Yeah. Now I think about it. Yeah. Now I want a hotel and a bed. <laughs> yeah, now you have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've known a lot of guys that used to come to Aslock, and they were—they didn't have a room. They weren't prepared. They just figured, well, you know, I'll, I'll get my first game in, and then I'll worry about that. I mean, I was just so excited to play. I just couldn't wait. I was just chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's the build-up to the game. See, it's now when I go to tournaments, it's totally different than, you know, I, I mean, the first guy I used to travel with to tournaments, where we, where we flew or drove, was uh, Fish, was Bill Connor. And uh, Bill told me once after we'd been going to tournaments together for like three or four years, he goes, I gotta quit going with you. And I says, why? And he goes, uh, he goes because you're rubbing off on me. And I says, well, wh- what do you mean? He goes, you don't have the killer instinct. <laughs> and I said, because if, if you ever had the pleasure of playing fish, one thing you know about fish, nice guy that he was, when he played him, he had the killer instinct. He wasn't there to beat you, he was there to humiliate you. Uh, but uh, he, he'd go, you don't have the killer instinct. And I'd go, what, what do you mean? He goes, look, he goes, you're not going to these tournaments to win. And I says, yes, I am. I says, I always go to play my best game and win. He goes, Dave, he goes, you go to DonCon every year. 
And he goes, and you walk up to Russ Gifford and you hand him a list and say, these are the guys I want to play in the first five rounds. And I says, well, what's wrong with that? And he goes, because the list is McGrath, Fortenberry, Pleva, Cheney. He goes, if you win two of those games out of the first five, you're doing you're, well. Yeah, I'd be lucky. I says, yeah, but if I win three, <laughs> we possibly will have a new champion. <laughs> And it won't be me. <laughs> but, you know, he always, and I says, well, why, why not play the best? You know, that's what I love about Chicago tournament. You know, you got a guy like Brett, won it last year, so he's seated number one. He's playing number two, West Front. Okay, you got me seated at three, and Ben is seated at four, and we're playing each other. Okay, Brett had to beat West Front. Then, Regardless of beating West, then he's got to play either me or Bendis. He ended up playing Bendis. Has to beat Bendis. Then he's got to beat Stan Jackson. Right. And I don't know how many people know Stan, but Stan is one of the greatest PTO players I've ever played. And he's no slouch in anything else either. And now he's retired, so Katie, bar the door and watch yourselves. <laughs> yeah. you know, he, I mean, he's going to be good. But it's like tournaments now. We prepare. Uh, and if you come to a tournament unprepared, you're probably not going to do that well, uh, win and loss wise, anyhow. So it's like uh, every February, the last week of February, uh, which actually coincides with my birthday, we all go down to Rodney Callens in uh, Morning View, Kentucky. And Rodney has us come over starting at 5 Wednesday night through Sunday. You never ha you stay at his house, you never have to go anywhere for food. I mean, they just feed you. Him and his wife just feed you like better than you eat at home uh, for the whole week. But uh, and and that crowd there is you know it varies from time to time. But you're always going to have great games. And we go down there to play test for Chicago. Basically, that's Stan has his binder with just the Chicago scenarios. Yeah, exactly. and he'll have the little slips and well, yellow means caution and pink or red means uh, we don't I don't want to play this one. Wow. You know, but it'll be uh, Rodney and Bob Callen, and it'll be uh, Stan Jackson, Wes Vaughn, Doug Kirk, uh, myself, uh, Jim Taylor has come the last two years down with me, uh, Randy Rossi, uh, Larry. You know, and there's a few local players. Uh, Mark Pitcavage has been known to stop there, and but it, it's just a great crowd. Yeah, and a great way to prepare. Yeah. And you, yeah. Yeah, and and those are the guys that. Still have passion. Mm -hmm. All right. That's good. Yeah. Well, we should wrap it up. Yeah. We maybe yeah. can talk later. But yeah, it's been great thank talking you so to you so much, oh, really? Dave. It's an honor. Really good yeah. talk. Absolutely. You it, know, you you're uh, you make me want to play more. <laughs> oh, you should. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's when I when I hear guys it's the number like you, one thing I do in my life. When I hear guys like you talk, and you can hear the passion, Rich. When I talk to you, it's like this should be a commercial, like to that should yeah. be running on Board For Game me. Geek or something. To well, get more people, because there's a lot of dedicated board gamers that don't play ASL that probably would be very attracted by listening to people who are really passionate about yeah. it. And my children well, there, are, there the are a lot of really good board games out there. There are, uh, yes. It's just yeah. that it's, once you play ASL, it's like, you know, why, why do you want to play anything else? Yeah. I can see maybe playing a different period of time period or something, but then I would always be looking to how to play that in ASL. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks very much. It's a yeah, lifestyle. Thank you. It is. As yeah. they say in Kansas City, it's the stug life, not the or stug life, stug not life. the thug life, the stug <laughs> life. <laughs> I think it's on their t-shirts. Good talk. Thanks Thank a you lot. Guys. Thanks, guys. Have a great so much. Balance of the tournament here. Thank you.
Now, Dave, we... Good interviews. More good interviews. Yes, thank you all, you guys, for doing that interviewing. Yeah. Thank you all for listening, and especially thanks to those of you that support us on Patreon. We'd like to get more of you in there. We love you so much. Get in there and support us. Yes. If you do that, we will kiss you. We will. In your sleep. Like, really. So be careful. Yeah. And don't run into any trees. <laughs> and remember to roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. So. We don't like that. No, but bye, bye everybody. everybody. See you next time. Change you know, from the uh, flute to the bell.